everybody and welcome to week 20 of the Kent Non-League Football Podcast uh, with me, John Phipps and Matt Gerrard. Um, first of all, Matt, how are you? I, we've just been talking about Christmas presents and the t- Ian Botham's Test Match game. How delightful. Uh, yeah, yeah, these days, I'm, yeah, it's all for my kids and things, so I've got to get a pair of socks and some ellies, but Ian Botham's Test Match, I got one, yeah, what a game that was. Little barbarians in bowl down over the bowler's arm. So that, whatever that must be, 1984, probably got that for Christmas. But what a game that is. You could probably put ashes on the PlayStation, put that in the bin, give a kid one of that. Hours and hours of fun. So, they were, yeah, the kids never had it. So, good, really, in PlayStation. But that, what a game that was. My favourite ever Christmas birthday that in both the Well, the pressure's on for the Gerrards to, to trump that this year, then. <laughs> Yeah. And what's your favourite ever Christmas present then going to that? Oh, I reckon it would probably be when I got my Nintendo Entertainment System, the NES. I must have been about seven or eight. And funny enough, we were talking about Subutio as well. I, got, I was expecting Subutio. I wasn't expecting the NES. I had uh, Super Mario 1, Tetris and uh, World Cup Football all on the same disc, like the, or the same uh, cartridge. Did all three of those games. So I just got that and I was I was gone for hours. It must have been, it must have been 1990, so it must have been just after the World Cup because Cameroon were quite good on the game. So uh, I'd have been eight yeah. then. So happy days. Yeah, those are the glory days. I like to compare them. Indeed. Well, anyway, to make a change for this week's show, I'm not actually sat in a Vauxhall Corsa in a car park because we record this week's show, as I'm actually on leave because um, I'm doing something tonight. I'm going out tonight. But rather than outright telling you what I'm doing, I've decided to slip some clues in throughout the show. And at the end, we're going to see if Matt can figure out where I'm going. Please play along at home and tweet at Kent NL Podcast, which whatever laboured innuendo it is that helps you guess. Are you up for this, Matt? I'm always, always up for a quiz. I do like a good quiz. Excellent. Well, we'll actually talk about some football as well. There's, there's not many midweek games to report on this week, but we've more than made up with it with some really good content from games that were played at the weekend. Among that is a superb interview against 3G Pitches, which I'm sure will spark a lot of debate. We'll start, though, with the game I saw on Saturday, which was played on a 3G pitch. I made the trip up to Cray Wanderers to see them take on High Town. Wanderers, as we mentioned before on the show, are desperate to get a new stadium. They've been ground sharing at Bromley for nearly 20 years, having moved out of their Oxford Road ground in 1998 because they were unable to install floodlights. Pretty much since then, they've been trying to get their own stadium. They've had so many disappointments, the most recent of them being when their plans were approved by Bromley Council, but called in by the Mayor of London and then rejected. But now they've relaunched the plans for the site, which is at Flamingo Park, just off the A20. Amended the plans on Saturday. They had free entry for everyone for the game against Hythe, and plenty of people took them up on it. And they had all the plans on display. I headed up to Hayes Lane, and first of all, I caught up with Cray Chairman Gary Hillman before the match. So obviously, Gary, here you've shown today your plans for your new stadium, and I guess not having your own stadium has been a bit of a, a problem for Cray, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been a massive problem. We've like 19 years we've been ground sharing now at uh, Bromley Football Club. We've actually been in planning or planning for planning, shall I say, for 11 years now, so this is our third application, and uh, yeah, just trying to keep the club alive and set it up for the for the future. And the plans look very impressive, and you must be hoping this one's finally going to come off. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's a bit disappointing last time, obviously we got it through London Borough, Bromley, they voted for it, and then Sadiq Khan took it away, refused it. Uh, we've now addressed all these issues that he was concerned about on, on the last application, so we cannot see, or our town planners cannot see any reason why this can't be refused. And also, like, the uh, public pressure now, everyone's supporting us, so it's, yeah, it's going to be hard, well, hard for him to refuse, but you can't, you can't, uh, you can't, 
can't decide what other people are going to say, like you know. So, for a club like Cray, how important is it to have your own home? Yeah, it's very like a lot of history. We're the oldest club within in uh, London, second oldest in the world. It's always big, massive part of the community down in Cray, and although it's only sort of four or five mile away, Bromley from transport wise, it's very hard. So we've come a bit disassociated with the area. And that's what we want to do, because when we was in Cray originally, you know, 1,000, 2,000 people we used to attract on a regular basis. So, uh, and we honestly believe if we get this stadium, you know, we're like as seen as Maystone and Dartford. We're not obviously as big as Maystone and Dartford, but, you know, they've always played at a sort of similar level to us before they had their own grounds and getting similar crowds. So you've seen that impact it's had and also the impact positive impact it's had on the rest of the community not not only the football but the whole of the community and the whole of business community and the whole of the area when you're thinking about what you want from a stadium what's at the top of your list the top of the list is to be sustainable you know so build something that you've got two stages build something that can be built with financially wise and then from there onwards to make it sustainable you know my biggest you know my biggest fear is we've got investors here and myself if we all get die in a plane crash tomorrow would the club survive and that you know it's a big thing and you know I'll be the happiest man in the world when the stadium's all done and you know I could just walk away off anything does happen you know it's been sustainable for the rest of the future like. 3G pitch are you new places there? 3G pitch yeah they've come on so much now is there a you know I can hardly tell the difference between a grass and a 3G pitch and it's the business model like at Maystone we've the team we got at the moment we play you know football from the back we struggled last year because the pitch weren't that good at Bromley now we've got pitch here we can play it play the football we play so yeah it's just a no-brainer really in, the, in today's uh, today's world and it is the thing isn't it for the club it's not just about you know it's, it's great you never get games called off on a Saturday yeah. but the fact you can use it every other time of the week yeah. as well yeah like this morning we've had all the youth teams playing on the pitch everyone's playing if that was a grass pitch this time of year you know no way would they be allowed on the pitch so it's that sort of that sort of aspect that is good and plus you've got the obviously the financial aspect as well and today obviously you've made it free for everyone to get in which, which is a great great idea and, and it seems like plenty of people taking up on it yeah 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 we're really pleased with the crowds buzzing in nice little buzzing atmosphere same again it's it's all about the community supporting football and yeah so we made it free and it's yeah it's really really going well so far and on the pitch so far going really really great yeah, guns yeah. aren't you yeah no we've got a really good team playing good football good players nice team spirit good bonding we all went out for a meal on Wednesday night all the management team all the players everyone turned up it's like yeah it's a real good feel at the moment around the club and what's the aim for this season do you think you can get in the playoffs yeah we're aiming to go up this year and I say we're sort of good good positioned at the moment and um, yeah so fingers crossed it's always hard to go up but yeah fingers crossed we're, we should be there or thereabouts in the playoffs or even better in the top two like so yeah so Gary Hillman there Matt he um, made some really good points and you could see how, how desperate he is for them to finally be able to have a place they can call home he's been there numerous years when uh, Ian Jenkins and Joe Francis really got them up to the the Devon Bostick Premier League, so he's got that club pretty in his heart. I have to admire him going on because 
you know, it must be all the kickbacks he's got. It's very easy for him to sort of throw in the towel, but he wants to get the club back to the um, to where their rightful home. You know, surely the second oldest club in London or the oldest club in London that they are, uh, they should be getting back to there. They're a good, well-run club. You saw them on Saturday. I think they play some good football. I just really hope it work out. I see AFC Wimbledon today. They have had the same sort of issue uh, with London councils, I think, to get their ground back to where they are. They've been accepted, so I can't see any reason why the Cray can't go back to their rightful home and build the club up. They're at a decent level at the moment, well-run club, and I really hope for Gary it works out because he had so many kickbacks and so many disappointments. And, you know, it'll all be worth it if he got that letter from the council saying, yes, we can go ahead. So, fingers crossed. And if you are a Cray fan, if you can um, get your voice heard, I'm sure it'll be fantastic to do that. I, I, they really do deserve it. What a, what a 20 years away is a long way. And if you speak to Maidstone United fans, you know, the heartache they've had all that time and where they are now, Sure, they would be sort of saying to Craig, "Yeah, keep going, keep going. It's all keep going. It's all worth it in the end." It's like he said there. I mean, he mentioned Maidstone and Dartford, and, and he wasn't saying for a second, you know, they could be as big as them in a short space of time. But it just shows what a difference it makes. And you know, at the heart of the community, it's it's off the main road, the the new ground where they want to be. It look, it's a nice little ground. Obviously, it's got a three G pitch. You know, the plans look really impressive, and I think that. It will be great for the area, and more importantly, it will be great for the club if they can get this sorted. Yeah, again, the community, again, clubs at that level, um, it's key to get players through them. There's a lot of clubs around that sort of area. Um, if they can do things like that. We saw when we, uh, I've driven past Avery's ground this season, and that's a sort of similar size sort of club. Great stadium, great in the community for where the location is, 3G surface. That's the sort of side that uh, Cray could be sort of, sort of ground that Craig could, could aspire, aspire to have really. so yeah again I, I, don't, I won't go into the where's and where's about why they haven't had it so far and uh, councils have said it from that. that that goes way above my head but if you want passion and get your views upon it Gary's the man to do it again I don't know when the ideas and the plans I presume John looked really pretty impressive man. Yeah, they did. I mean, they had, they had like, you know, it was all set up along the bar. You probably were in the bar last week at, at Bromley, but the, the, they were set up. There were about 10, 15 drawings and there was a place for people to sign up and, and give their support. And um, as you'll hear Tony Russell say later on, every, if everybody who cares about that club or has any interest in non-league football says that they want this stadium, then that's going to help them. And, you know, there were, I think there were 300 odd people there on Saturday in the end. And, you know, that makes a difference. And, and if all of those 300 people are, are sending letters to the mayor or putting their support on a bit of paper or on a petition or anything, that will hopefully help them make make them realise how important it is going to be for, the, for Cray Wanderers to have a football club in their area. I mean, St Mary's Cray, St Paul's Cray, whichever one they, they want to be. But they'll be slap bang in the middle of their area and they'll be bringing the game to people in that area as well. And, you know, in some ways, what they're going to be doing on Saturday afternoons at three o'clock is almost secondary because, it, as we've seen with Maidstone um, and Margate are heading that way as well, what the 3G pitch brings is it brings 24-7 access if you need it. I've just banged my arm on my table if you heard that noise, anyone. Um, but it brings that 24-7 access and the club and the community will benefit so much from it. So fingers crossed for Cray. I really hope that this is the one that they manage to get over the line. Do we know when the decision will be made, or is it just an ongoing sort of process? I think that they've that the plans have now been finalised, and so it's going through the whole process. I mean, last time obviously they had the the celebrations of getting it approved by the local council, and then it got called in. But my understanding is that they've worked quite closely with the mayor's office this time, and that there should be no issues. So you know, I think they're looking at. I'm sure I've read before they're looking at maybe the start of 2019 season. So 
as I say, fingers crossed, and hopefully it works out for them. Absolutely. Yeah, well, what of the game, though? I mean, I was there for that as well. I was tweeting throughout it, and mainly, most of the time, I was thinking that Cray are a good side. Very good. They've only lost once in the league so far this season on, on that show, and you can see why. They made the breakthrough in the first half through Michael Powers' smart finish after a good save from Will Godman in the high goal. Brandon Scott doubled the lead when he ran onto a through ball, went round the keeper and rolled home. Hyde finished the half well and Sid Solis hit the bar. And straight after the break, sub Kieran Campbell made an instant impact with a well-taken strike. Keeper Andy McCorkle made a really good save soon afterwards, but the home side got back on it and restored their two-goal lead when Lee Dawson claimed a goal after Godman, possibly impeded, failed to deal with a corner. Then, as always seems to happen when I see Cray, it kicked right off. Another Hyde sub, Jerson Dos Santos, who'd already been booked, clashed with Zach Henry on the floor. The ref didn't have a great view, but the press box, and more crucially the linesman, did, as the Hyde man kicked out at Henry on the floor. It was a clear red card. Henry was booked as well. He was livid, not least when he was picked up off the floor in the middle of the scuffle. He was then subbed before he was sent off, although he didn't go quietly and there was a moment where I thought he might actually get a second yellow on his way off the pitch. Sub Jerome Federico made it four, although to be honest, Cray should already have been well out of sight. And that was my first question to manager Tony Russell when I spoke to him. Was he disappointed that they didn't score more? Yeah, yeah, as I say, Brandon, the wide player, has gone clean through four times, scored one of them, and then Relique's come on and gone clean through and not scored, and then Shag's gone clean through the Michael Power, sorry for those who don't know him, <laughs> Shag, he's missed. Um, yeah, I just said that to him there. I thought second half we got a little bit sloppy at the start, let them in, and we spoke about that after time, but we felt that as long as we held our discipline, you know, I didn't think there was much coming from them. We didn't do that. Um, but to be a player today, they come at us, they, they change their formation, went more bold and the problem with that is when you do that against us, you leave yourself open going back the other way. So we were always, as I say, we beat a team eight and we beat a team seven. I suppose you could see that there. I mean, there probably should have been six or seven there. There were great chances. You're going clean through, you know, you're missing them. That's without the other ones. But listen, Hyper are a very good side. If you'd have offered me four one before the game, I certainly would have taken it. Exactly. I mean, you know, they did certainly show. And, and your keeper, I mean, obviously he's just come in for today and he made a great save, a very crucial save at 2-1 from the corner, didn't he? Yeah, it's, it's hard from us because we play from the back. We're a football inside, so <laughs> our goalkeeper just does it. So to bring a goalkeeper, I mean, Jay Saunders from Maystone lent him us. And it was so hard. We had one training session, so it, it was so hard for him to come in. I thought he'd done as good, as well as you can expect, especially... I say most teams can get away because they just bring a goal in and he kicks it to the halfway line. And but we say play from the back, so he puts him under a lot of pressure. And I thought he was nice and brave. And as I say, he had he had a one save to make and he he done well. And the reason I came up with today is obviously all the stuff about the ground and and how important is it for the club that you get this stadium sorted? Massively important because obviously this club's gonna it will die without it. You know, we've got some really ambitious owners, but for their ambition, they're not gonna they're not gonna just put dead money into a football club. You know, we need a home. Every club needs a home. We need to build our own fans. We need to have an identity. And at the moment, we're not. We're, you know, we're kindly relying on Bromley's generosity to let us play at this, at this ground, which is lovely. But we could do with everyone who obviously listens or reads this to, to just click on and try to fill out and give us and give their support. Because, as I say, we think it will be really good for the community as well. The season generally, we've only lost once in the league. You'd take that just for two weeks for Christmas, wouldn't you? Yeah, a bit great to me, the one we lost. We were one they were up against Lewis away and cruising. They had two sent off and it was, the referees absolutely killed us. And we lost 2-1. That's the only game we've lost. So that one frustrates me. Um, yeah, I mean, so far so good. We've drawn too many games where we should have won. But 
we're in a nice position. We've just got to keep going there and keep putting performances like that in, and then we, I think we'll be there or thereabouts, I think. You seem to be a very together side, very combative, and I, and I guess that's, that's really pleasing for you as a manager. Yeah, last year, I mean, listen, anyone who followed any of my teams at Erif and VCD, we've always played the football, like when we passed the ball around, etc. But I thought last year it was too easy to come through. So we changed it a little bit and you know, brought Zach for the 21s in um, and he's a little bit more competitive competitive, sorry, in there and makes us hard to beat. We're always going to open teams up, but I thought it was too easy to score. We let in so many goals. We've shored that up. I think we're the team that's let the least amount of goals in and we must be up there with the goal scoring. So I think you know, we beat East Grinstead a couple of weeks ago 7-1, so that done the goal difference no harm. And as I say, it's important that you, you can't concede goals. You need a platform to play and... Our boys at the back have done very well and now it gives us a chance to, 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 to pop some off at the other end. Yeah, I know you've got a game Wednesday. We actually come out on Wednesday. So looking ahead to the weekend, you're at Whiteleaf, another 3G pitch. And I guess that's one where you can go there and, and you know what you're going to get. Yeah, it's, a, it's an old 3G pitch, though. It's a really, it's a quite, it's a rock hard one. And all the boys moaned about that one. They moaned about it last year. But, you know, it is, it is. They're a good side. They're up there as well, you know. Um, we've had them watch today if the game's on against Hayes and I don't know if it went ahead I know the pitching inspector I think it might have gone ahead but we had someone there so I look at their report but I've watched them this season um, they've got a lot of pace and um, there'll be a handful but like I say I always say to our boys you know, as long as we turn up and do what we do we're a handful as well so it'll be a very hard game just like sitting born's going to be a hard game but you know we're unbeaten in 10 games you know confidence is really high so we've got to go into it positive, you know. So all in all, you're, you're a very happy man at the moment. Well, any manager will tell you, you know, when you're not winning games, you look at the fixtures in every game, you think, oh God, that's going to be an hour. And when you're winning games, you just can't wait for the next one to come. You just roll the team out. and they, So while, while we're going well, um, I, you know, it's, I don't earn my money now. I earn my money when things don't go well. So I keep, me, I keep my feet on the ground. I ain't going to get too carried away and just keep working as we're working. So Tony Russell there, um, he's got every reason to be happy. I mean, obviously, as always, we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon, so we don't know what's going to happen when they play Sittingbourne on Wednesday night. But they're absolutely superb, Craig. One defeat, we're a fortnight from Christmas. He's got to be delighted with that, hasn't he? I think it's a fantastic start to the season for them. Again, you said, well, of course, I've got they play some good football. They've got some good young players, mixture with a little bit of experience in that point of view. There's no reason why maybe Lewis are going to be the main side to win that division, that they can't be in the playoffs. And again, I think they're only defeated, you mentioned, in that interview was against um, Lewis from that point of view. Yeah, a fantastic season for them. They have played uh, Ryman Premier League football uh, before, so I can't see why a reason they're not scared of that record. Uh, it's got scared of that level. I'm beaten at home. Yeah, I think um, all in all, a good start to the season. Probably, when we look back on the early episodes of the pod, we didn't think they would be one of the Kent sides at the right end. So, uh, a good point from that. And just thinking about Hyde as well, they need to maybe regroup a bit because they always go two steps two, two steps forward and one step back. So, I'm sure manager Clive Cook needs to look into that point of him. Were they disappointing, John? I think so. Very disappointing. I mean, but the big thing was for me was, you know, I didn't think a lot of Hyde. I mean, they had their spells in the game, but Cray were just really good. I mean... We've spoken about power before. You know, he's everything you want in, a, in an experienced striker. He gets himself about, he gets stuck in. But the main man for me was Michael Freiter. Um, he was almost playing in that. He was in the centre of midfield, but almost sort of pushing up to try and support power. And he could pick a pass. I mean, he set, he set up the fourth goal, definitely. It may well have been him who set up the second goal as well. But those raking crossfield balls, time and time again, 
gave Hive all sorts of problems. I was really, really impressed with him. And, and Cray are obviously, they're not a dirty side in any way, shape or form, but they seem to be a side who get under their opponent's skin somehow. I, I don't know why. I'm, I, you know, I've, I've got nothing but good things to say about Cray, but when I saw them at City Morn, obviously there was a bit of a row and I was speaking to a few people about that game and, you know, they're, they're all kind of similar to me. It, it didn't deserve to finish like that. It was very strange that it did finish like that and the referee probably could have handled it better. And then on Saturday, you know, it, it, it just went off and, and the hired substitute, Dos Santos, had been booked early on for a similar sort of thing and the, the captain, Ryan Johnson, I, I don't know what was up with him because... In the very first corner of the game, he was booked for a scuffle with a Cray player. And then within about two or three minutes, on the edge of the box, as Cray were attacking, he pulls him back by his shirt. I've got no idea. I mean, the ref didn't give a free kick. If he'd given a free kick, he'd have had to send Johnson off. In the second half, Johnson involved again with another foul. He literally was on his last warning. And it was him who was in the having the row with Henry when he was going off at the end. And I was just sitting there thinking, why were Hyde so... Narky ahead of this game, were they expecting something? I, I, there was no need to. It wasn't a dirty game. There was just a couple of flashpoints. It's so bizarre. Maybe it's the pressure's getting too high. Maybe they think again, think they should be doing a little bit better than they are. Two steps, as I mentioned before, two steps forward, one step back. Um, yeah, again, I think they should be doing a little bit better. Michael Fry's going back to him. I'm sure he was at Gillingham, wasn't he? He so was, yeah. One of the highly rated players at Gill, so um, with Bradley Dack from that point of view. So, do you think any of those players could step up to a different level from both sides, John? I think Freiser definitely looked like he's got, you know, he's got something about him. Um, I think Cray are just a really good side. I, I don't think Cray would look that out of place if they went up without any sort of additions to their squad. Um, you know, I, I was impressed by them. Hi, it, it was kind of hard. I mean, Solis is on loan from Margate. He looked, he looked decent. Um, I thought Charlie Webster on the flank looked, looked decent as well, but he only lasted about an hour. Um, same with Solis, actually. They both came off at the same time. You know, Hyde were one of the group, and I've got to hold my hands up here. I was planning to speak to someone from Hyde as well after the game, but it was frankly too bloody cold to wait around anymore. The mercury in those thermometers was pretty darn low, that's for sure. They were disappointing, very disappointing, but the show must go on, and they'll want to get back to winning ways this weekend. Yeah, I think I think Hyde can get in the playoffs, just get a bit more consistency as ever from that point of view, particularly away from home. They're normally good at home, but score goals, maybe leak them a bit as well, which is a bit of a concern. Absolutely. Anyway, you will have heard both Gary and Tony there. Weren't they in men behaving badly, them two? Um, anyway, you will have heard both Gary and Tony talking about 3G pitches. And it's obviously an issue that is much talked about. We hear a lot of people in favour of them, but there are, of course, some who aren't so keen. They're not being allowed in the Football League, may well end up being a huge issue come May. But as we're about to hear from a conference board member, it's pretty cut and dried as far as he's concerned. That man is Dover Athletic Chairman Jim Parminter. And Agent Gerard spoke to him before their game on Saturday. Jim, just can you clarify the 3G situation with the National League this year? I know you're on the National League board. Just a sort of confusion of how it works if sides get in the playoffs? It hasn't changed since the rule was introduced. Um, any club that came into the National League, National Division, to play on a 3G pitch had to sign an undertaking, a legal undertaking, which is irrevocable, that they would, if in the... Uh, promotion position would rip up their 3G and, and put a grass pitch down um, to enable them to get promotion. Otherwise, if they fail to do that, they'd be rele relegated uh, automatically. What, so, on the canal, on the Kent point of view, we've got Bromley and Maystone with a 3G surface. If, for example, the confusion is they got into the playoff final, would the, would the winner then technically be relegated two divisions? No. But the, the winner would have to rip up their 3G and plant a grass pitching time for the next season if they were promoted. 
I know that's some of these business models these um, Sutton, Maidstone and uh, Bromley have got is that that's their business model. Do you think those clubs would be feasibly do it? Would they um, put out appeal for that sort of situation? Well, look, I think there's a much wider question here. First of all, they know knew the situation when they joined the league. They signed the irrevocable declaration, which um, they knew was there. That was the only way that the uh, National League at the time could in- introduce a rule allowing 3G pitches into, into the National League because, of course... Uh, you're not allowed to play on a 3G in the Football League and the big concern quite rightly from many clubs in the National League is that if you had clubs in the promotion divisions on 3G pitches that couldn't get promoted that would cause a, if you like, a logjam and there would be no promotion from the National League to the, to the Football League. If that were to happen, then it wouldn't be very long before the Football League uh, turned around and probably took away some of those um, automatic promotion positions. So it's a bigger picture than whether you should or shouldn't have a 3G picture. It's about promotion to the Football League. Do you expect um, the Football League to discuss the situation allowing 3G pitches, particularly in the Leagues 1 and 2? I've no idea. They've said they're going to uh, discuss pitches, the quality of pitches, um, as, a, as a wide subject, which will include 3G. My personal view is that they won't accept 3G. What, what the reason for behind that would be? Because I think most uh, most clubs um, don't like 3Gs for various reasons. I mean, um, most, I, I personally don't like 3G pitches. And I think that the, the big thing is that the, um, when the vote went through, I think it was a very narrow majority. And I think now clubs have experienced 3G pitches of, uh, of different qualities. They would, uh, they would probably not vote in favour now. So I think if there's a vote again, I don't think it would go through. I know you can't talk on behalf of Sutton and Bromley and Maidstone. Do you think they would rip up their pitches from that point of view if they did get promoted? That's an entire, entirely a matter for them. Um, I think, I think they're uh, they're making noises about um, you know taking legal action or whatever. Um, I, my, I would simply say that they knew the rules when they joined the league. The rules haven't changed. They signed, secondly to that, an irrevocable um, undertaking that they would do uh, follow the rules. And when you when you join the league, you've, you sign an undertaking to say you'll follow the rules. So, you know, I don't think clubs have got any a leg to stand on. It, it, frankly, um, if you sign an undertaking and you sign to un- uh, abide by the rules, you should do it. So, so there's nothing can happen this season. You're on the conference board. I know some of the Maidstone and Sutton people are on the board as well. Is there sort of um, Conflictions and uh, about it. Oh, it's just. Oh, is it? It's a big issue in the league at the moment. That's what I'm trying to say. Get across. Well, it's it's being made a big issue by um, by uh, an organisation which I call thinks called Three Gs for Us or something like that, um, which is essentially uh, the, the the clubs that have Three G pitches. Yes, it is a big issue, but it's really this is not a conference national league rule now. This is an FA rule. This is written into the standardised rules. So the, the national league couldn't change it on their own anyway. That would have to go to the FA. That would take at least a year. And, and I, I, it would have to be voted through an AGM, a National League AGM. My personal opinion, I'm not speaking on behalf of the board here, but my personal opinion is that it wouldn't go through. No, the, the argument is that England have played internationals on it, Champions League games have been on it, and, but it's strange that you can't play Football League games on it. Well, as I say, it's a very, very big argument, that, that the argument of 3G. That isn't actually a very uh, sustainable argument because, of course, these, these uh, international games and, and high-level games that are played are played on very, very high-quality 3G pitches, which are played uh, where, where the community is not using them. The surface is superb, and even then, people don't particularly like them. And there are other issues around 3G pitches. The new safety concerns being raised about the rubber crumb that's used in them just recently um, by a university uh, study. So there's, there's other big issues around 3G as well, and I just think that you know it's not a one-sided argument. The, the 3G pitches in the National League, are you happy with them? Do you think that the quality is good, up to good standards? I think they vary. 
No. If I'm being absolutely honest, um, I, you know, I've seen all of them. I think I don't think there's a standard 3G pitch. I think 3G pitches are, are of a varying standard and, and play differently. Um, I think they play differently to grass. I don't know where I feel about this one, Matt, because I, I think he's made some really good points there, Jim Parmenter. I mean, I thought the... Um... The point you made about the pitches at international level not being used all the time, so therefore being of a better standard, I think that's very interesting. And and he says those clubs have signed that agreement, it's legally binding, and that's that. Pretty cut and dried, isn't it? It's, it's a real difficult situation. I never thought about that point, if the sides in Russia, etc., they probably haven't got loads of kids running on the pitch. And again, they may be at a higher standard. These pitches aren't cheap, we know that from... And seeing what Maidstone have had to uh, replace theirs and Margate's spent, you know, you're looking for three, three to four hundred thousand pounds. The thing that came out from this is that this he kept saying, Jim Parmenter, the league are undertaking um, going into this division. They had to sign that they go in it. And his point is well made. He probably can't change things during that half of the season. What would happen if Maidstone, Bromley, and Sutton were in the top three at the end of the season? That would be a real problem for the National League. And it, and it would take... National League would look very, very um, awkward division out of this, even though it technically might not be their fault because the FA have got to prove it into the Football League. It's just a, a really difficult point. But Jim Parmenter, you know, as you see there, he's very passionate about it from that point of view. And we've seen Epstein as well saying they're not too fans of the um, of the pitches as well. But I think what he said, he said it could be a bottleneck for promotion. And, and of course... Teams in the Football League, they don't want to come into the National League. I've seen Hartley, Paul, Wrexham, team size like that. They don't want to be in this division. And if there's an issue with the 3G services, Football League could say, well, we're going to shut this down. We don't really um, you know, uh, think they should decide because we can't, can't guarantee somebody will go up promoted. We'll just stop it down. And that really causes a problem for, for non-league football. But he did come across really well with his Jim Palmer. Of course, we need another side of the coin from maybe Oliver Ash from Maidstone. We'll try and speak to him over the next few weeks as well. But from that point of view, he was very convinced that um, at least something's not going to happen for a year. And it, what will happen in May in the playoffs, it will be interesting. If, say, Sutton Mason will probably come up, it could all come into a, a legal argument. But then, but Jim Parmenter, he's put his uh, uh, his reasons on the table there that they can't go up. Yeah, what what I didn't necessarily agree with, with, with from Jim Parmenter there, and we'll come on to um, the episode comments as well in a minute, but he said that all the 3G pitches can be different. Um, I don't really know how that can be used as as an argument against them, because as you see from Peter Varney at Ebb Street, he thinks everyone plays long ball football on 3G pitches, which I personally think is definitely not the case. But every, no grass pitches are the same. You know, they're all different. They can be different sizes. They can have bobbles in different places. You know, it's very. I would suggest probably you know the pitch at Old Trafford and the pitch at Wembley are probably different in in their own way, shape, and form. And people could, um, and it's different. It, they are different. So uh, the argument from Jim Parmenter of all three G pitches are, are, are different and and that varies and that's why they're wrong. I'm not so sure about that one. Well, again, it probably comes in anything in life. It depends how much you play out on these. Um, so what the quality you get. Probably the ones in the Russia may. More than what the uh, the levels at Bargate Maystone have played from that point of view, but again, it's, it's economies of scale. They can't afford to spend out the highest one, but they'll get the money back from the other parts of the industry. It's just it's just a, a minefield of something's going to come out. The football league, are, as you said, are going to discuss it about the quality of surfaces, which will include 3G surfaces. I presume the next thing on this one, you've got to wait for what the football league clubs do if they allow them in. He seemed to think from that what Jim said there that some of the clubs. 
have seen them in surface in the I League and they're not too keen on them. I don't know if the likes of the smaller sides in the division, like of Accrington, whose pitch, you know, it's pretty awful when I've seen it on the television in about August. They may want to go down that route to gain some extra money. I don't know. It, it's it'd be interesting to see Oliver Ash's viewpoint to, to what Jim said. But Jim's come out there and fair play to him. He's answered the questions which I've given him. Uh, you know, and at the end of it, you, you do think, well, maybe he has got a valid point. But it's just it's just a real something that it's it's going to only get bigger this situation. And I think it's quite good that we've got it in earlier as the season goes on in March and April time. This could be a real big factor where these sides are in this division today. But, as you said there, they signed a legal agreement. Would Sutton rip their pitch up if they weren't promoted? Would Maystone, would Bromley? I honestly do not know about that. I genuinely do think that Maidstone would not. Right. Well, the only thing from that point of view, would okay, they're a community club down, they've done a brilliant job down there. Would the supporters who've seen them in the lowest of the low, when they've got that chance to be promoted, would they think about it? Would they think about it? Right. We could be in the Football League and that circle of, you know, where they were in the lower reaches reaches its conclusion. Would they do it? I don't know. If the supporters, you know, would, if, would some of the supporters say, yeah, we want to do this? If that's a, an interesting one. I think uh, he said, uh, Oliver Ash, in other things, that he wouldn't do it. So, and I admire them. If they do that, they've got this business model and it's working well for them. Hi, I'm Stephen Watt, market manager. And you listen to the Kent Non-League Podcast. It was a good weekend for our National League sides on the field with two big wins and two draws, albeit at different ends of the score spectrum. We'll start by looking at the two draws then. Maidstone stopped the rot with a clean sheet in a 0-0 draw at Maidenhead. A tough place to go, especially if I've been at Milton Keynes the previous week. Um, I heard Stuart Lewis interviewed on Radio Kent and he said that you could fit the away dressing room at York Road into the MK1 seven or eight times over. Um, Lewis thought he should have had a penalty right at the end as well. I even recorded the BT Sport highlights show so that I could form an opinion on it, but they didn't show it. Um, but good point for Maidstone there because Mainhead are always a, a tricky side, aren't they? I think Maidstone have done really well this season. I think they lost Dave Tarpey early on when he had to Barnet now. Now he's been injured for them there. Always a concern about scoring goals. But Alan Devonshire is a good manager at that level. He's had it with Braintree. I think they'll be perfectly fine. The most important thing, I think, for Maidstone was that point of view. It was A, to stop the rock, B, to stop the goals going in. So I think they'll be pleased with that. I, I have seen that penalty. Uh, 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 it's, I think, Maidstone or somebody, actually, Stones TV put it on there. Uh, to me, from the viewpoint you've got, it looks a Stonewall penalty. But the referee didn't think so. I don't know if he was booked. I think he was booked for um, simulation, Stuart Lewis. But you can see the Maidstone players were incensed. Again, one of those who's driving into the penalty area, gone past his man. No real reason to go down, I wouldn't have thought so. Again, as, as football will say, I don't know if this is ever true, that evens itself out the uh, uh, across the season. But I think I'd have been disappointed from Maidstone point of view from that one. I think that's what he said. I think, I think Stuart Lewis did say in that interview, you know, I'm through. What? Why am I going to go down? And, and they had another penalty shout as well, which I did see on the highlight show when um, someone was brought down the box and the ball fell to Piggott and, and his shot was was quite close. But one of those ones made. So I mean, I, I think they'd have been delighted if they could nick it. But I bet deep down, after shipping four in their last three games, Jay Saunders was was pretty chuffed to come away with a clean sheet at the end of the day. Yeah, I, I think that's yeah. Lee Morgan um, only had a good game, kept a minute. Good goalkeeper shows his. Confidence has been affected as they've picked the ball out of the net 12 times. So, yeah, again, back on the horse again for Mace. They're still tight at the top of the division. So, there's no reason why they, 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 just win. they haven't lost that much ground, which is probably the important thing as well from that point of view with, with again, the league being so tight. So, yeah, 
just keep going, mate. Stone, big games coming up over the Christmas period as well for all our Kent sides, and they'll be looking to, to bounce back from that. Yeah, Bromley had a roller coaster down at Eastleigh, trailing 2 0 after 19 minutes, hitting back to lead 3 2, being pegged back, but then taking the lead again two minutes from the end, only for another leveller to deny them. And, and you know, that a game that had everything. And, you know, it managers they were always saying, I'm sure Neil, Neil Smith would have said it after the game, you can't come away from home, score four goals and not win. No, but good thing about that again, Louis Dennis, a couple of cracking goals from that. He was impressive when I saw him against. Twice, I've seen, well, three times I've seen this season for for Bromley against uh, for Bromley against David. He looks a good player, lovely feet, go past the man. One of the criticisms been over his career, he doesn't score enough goals. Um, and, that, and maybe he's, I think he's got half a dozen, I think this season now. So he can take that on. He's a key player for for Bromley from there. It's a shame, I thought. You know, great character because you know I was looking at that game when you think they were two 0 up against Dover, brought back to two all. They were two 0 down and got back to three two, which showed real. No, they could have gone into their shell after that. It'd be disappointed, Neil Smith. But again, if you'd offered them a point at Eastleigh, who are very hot and cold, he'd have probably taken it. But again, no reason why Bromley again kept going on scoring goals, top goal scores in the league as well. So Neil Smith would be absolutely delighted with that stat. Yeah, and Ebbsfleet were impressive as they beat Geisley 4 0. It seems that Luke Coulson and Danny Kedwell are linking up quite nicely in attack for them. And also great news for Fleet to have Dave Winfield back on the bench. I mean, he's only been out for four months, but I think they were expecting him to be out for a lot longer. Yeah, again, four points off the playoffs. Uh, to be fair for Danny Kedwell, he's had a great career. Um, I remember seeing him when he played for, I think it was Herne Bay, I think, before he went to Welling, and he was a real handful then. And he's done, yeah, maybe I thought he'd be a player role for Epsley, but maybe not as much as he has this season because he's playing virtually every game and he's playing 90 minutes each game, but he's a talisman for them, Kedwell. Again, if you put the ball in the air, it'll battle, it'll rough up defenders. And he gives them that little bit of X factor. And he, and he scored a lot of goals. I think he scored more goals this season than he did the whole of last season as well. So, and, and, he, and he's a big game player. And he's going to be key for them coming through. And Dave Winfield as well. He's, he's again, when, the, when he was injured, they thought he'd be out for the season. He'll come back. They brought Chris Bush in. And Chris Bush has done really well. It just adds extra to that absolute squad. They've got a, a good, strong squad. And they've only lost five games as well all season. Which I think, you know, they're not used to losing matches. Once they get... A, can keep players fit if they can keep Winfield fit and Kedwell there's no reason why Epsley can't get in there and I think quite confident I think Epsley you know speaking to a few people I think Epsley think they can get in the playoffs and I, I think they've got a good chance if they can keep everybody fit keep up that consistency don't lose matches defence is quite solid as well with Winfield back I think Epsley are going to have a good 2018 that just seems with Dover then who also won 4 one at the weekend beating Hartlepool United um a bit of a nightmare return for Nick Devedix, um, the former Dover man, sent off. Um, I saw the red card. It, it looked like a bit of a moan, moment of madness for him. And, and what on earth has he done to his barnet as well? <laughs> I chatted him before the game. Yeah, it's, you know, he's 30 years of age. It's, it's like a Gaza beach blonde from Euro 96. From that. Uh, uh, I hate to say these things in football. After the final, so Devedix, he's had the red card for Sydney now. Um, you say, oh, he's not that kind of player. But everybody's, you know, people go in for these challenges. Um, Hartlepool were pretty poor. They played to Dover's strengths. Dover got the early goal, which was absolutely crucial. Went 2-0 up, which again, crucial. That, again, and then Dover were quite happy to let Hartlepool have the ball. Um, and it was a part just before half-time that Dover had 10 men behind the ball. And all Hartlepool, Hartlepool did was just sort of play it around their defence and went about five yards in about two minutes. And you could see that uh, um, 
Hartlepool fans weren't particularly happy with this. But it's played in Dover's hands because Dover are so organised at the back this season. Now they've got the best defence in the division. Every player knows their job. Mitch Walker's been absolutely brilliant in goal. He claims crosses. So they were quite happy to get them, get, let them get the ball. Deverick's had a decent game. When he moved into midfield, he could pick a pass, definitely. But Hartley were poor, but Dover were good. And two late goals as well from Ryan Bird. He needed that as well, Bird, because uh, hadn't been playing too well, I didn't think, from that point of view. But again, as I said before, if you put the ball in the box, give him the service, he will score goals. So... Yeah, a good day for Dover, I think. They needed that. Back up to fourth table. Still very, very tight in the in division as well, of course, with the likes of Sutton and Wrexham losing. Dagenham coming on the outside and Aldershot losing. So, you know, Dover may look at back that point against Bromley when they got the last minute equaliser come the end of the season. What an important point that could be just to sort of boost them up a little bit. But all in all, a good day for Dover. And again, Hartlepool. If you can beat Hartlepool 5-0 on aggregate on two games, you know, you must be doing something right because... Many people expect them to be up there, but from that, from what I've seen of them, they, they're not going to be yet challenging the playoff positions unless they can get a, a goal score and add a little bit of threat. Yeah, and also you mentioned Dover's defensive record there. You, you mentioned it to Chris Kinnear, and if anyone was listening to the Sports Hub on uh, on Saturday evening, the post match, some more world class sparring between uh, Gerard and Kinnear there. Uh, as Matt pointed out, that Dover's um, record, their defensive record is really good, and all Chris Kinnear wanted to talk about was how good they were going forward. And you know, it's all going a bit radio gargoyle with you and Chris Kinnear at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Again, he plays straight back. He knows the media how these things are. I'm just wanting to get him to sort of open up a little bit, but again, he knows what he's saying. He builds his players up. Uh, I think probably in the dressing room, right out there, everybody is a team game. And you know, I can't, gr- you know, I can't grumble with Chris Kinnear. He's been doing it for absolutely donkey's years, and he's doing it again at David. What a fantastic job uh, and what a manager he is. So um, yeah, fair play to him. You, can, you can't get much out of him, but uh, on air, you can't get much out of him. That's what I should say. No. Um, FA Trophy for our National League clubs this weekend. Um, Mason got a tough one down to Torquay. Ebbsfleet were home to Eastleigh. Dover home to Eastbourne Borough. And Bromley go to Hartney Whitney. And, and fair play to Hartney Whitney. It's their first season ever being at this at this level, the FA Trophy level. They've already won forced ties to reach this stage, beating Slimbridge, Swindon Supermarine, Gosport Borough and Farnborough. Three of them away from home. They're just outside the playoffs in the Southern League Division 1 East. And I'd imagine they cannot wait to go headlong into this big game with, with Bromley on Saturday. And, you know, it's it, you would expect Bromley to win that. But even though it is the FA Trophy, you know, it's going to be a big day for, for the home side there. Oh, I think it is uh, from that point of view. With uh, the trophy this year, it could be a different competition. As we've seen that there's no National League side getting to the third round of the FA Cup with the Fylde and Woken going out this week. Competition may become... Competition that the National League sides are going to take sides that are not necessarily in the playoffs, but on the outskirts, going to go for. Maybe the likes of Tranmere, maybe Orient, probably may not necessarily do, but one of the other sides. History looks at that the National League side will win this competition. With it may be more of a priority from that point of view. Speaking of Chris Kinnear after the game, he said it is a priority. He wants. He's never been to Wembley as a manager. He wants it on his CV. There's no reason if the draw are kind for Maidstone. Not the kindest draw, I have to say, going to Torquay. Torquay, I'm beating in three, I think it is now. So that's a tough one from them. There's no reason why, if our sides play it seriously and they get the rubber draw with the draw, they can go deep into this competition. So I think it will be treated a little bit more seriously now, this competition, as we haven't seen, say, the conference sides making it into the third round of the FA Cup this year. The only thing with that, though, Matt, is, is while, you know, I completely agree with that, but... 
there's so many teams there who will still think they're in with a shout at the playoffs. So does the tightness of that league mean that with, you know, a busy period coming up with three games in a week over Christmas, there's going to be some managers there whose team are eighth, ninth, whatever, in the conference or National League, Premier, thinking could probably rest a few this weekend. And that's when upsets can happen. No, I think the trophy um, is a competition that you speak to a lot of these sides that they want to do well in. I think the more the non-league sides, maybe the element I should probably have said on that point of view, maybe the likes of Wrexham, who have won this competition before, or at least got to the final before, or in Tranmere, probably don't take it too seriously. But I'm sure Neil Smith, uh, Jay Saunders, and I know Chris Kinnear will think, right, this is a competition we can really do well in. And it can work with, in favour with your league form as well. It goes national in the next round, I think it is, probably it is. So you could be travelling, like Gates said, which could be a bit of a problem for you. But it's a competition that they could do well in. They know they can compete in the National League. I expect the National League side to win it. Why not go for it? I, you know, put my neck on the ground. It'll be an old-school non-league side with this competition, I would say. And there's no reason why the sides, well, the four sides, absolutely, as well. So, of course, won it before. But they, they would like to get back to Wembley uh, as well from that point of view. Because they've got a difficult one, difficult one against Eastleigh. Because you don't know what Eastleigh side are going to turn up. You see, that's the problem. But they're, they're a side of competition. A side Eastleigh, who I think probably will take it very seriously because their league form's pretty poor. And they need to give something back to their supporters because the last 18 months have been pretty dreadful for them. So a tough one for 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 for, for Epsley uh, there. But I would say an old school non-league side will win this competition. No reason why it can't be one of our sides. No, Darfur also in action in the trophy on Saturday against Boreham Wood. Um, one thing I do always find really interesting about the FA Trophy is there's not so much acknowledgement from the from the mainstream media. I mean, you'll have to dig around a bit to find the scores on Saturday. They won't be coming up on the video printer on, on Sky like they normally do. You won't be able to get the, the goals as they go in on your Sky Sports apps and everything. Even though the National League teams are in it, the mainstream media, your Skies, your BBCs, don't seem that fussed about it. I mean, and obviously BBC Radio Kent, I mean, I mean the National BBC Sport, you know, it's not as, as prominent as, as some of the early rounds of the FA Cup now. And I've never understood that. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Um, you're probably right. You have to dig around for other scores um, when it comes to that competition. Maybe it's something the FA should look to, to, to big up, so to speak. It's probably um, You probably can get the fourth qualifying round of the FA Cup being more um, populated in, or more po- uh, popular media outlets take it up rather than the trophy. But it is a competition there. There's a story in the competition when Harringay Borough going to play home to Lake Lurian. You know, if you'd have said that three years ago, that competition, you'd have been laughed out of there the ground from there. So that's something the media should um, look to exploit. But yeah, maybe there should be the, the National League if they're involved in this or the FA should really um, publicise it a bit more because there's some good ties in this competition and there will be some heroes and there will be some villains at the weekend. Yeah, I'm surprised it, it, it hasn't. Um, you're right there. It's difficult to find the scores out but uh, of course we'll tell you all next week on the, National, on the, on the non-league pod. Absolutely. Uh, in the National League South, Dartford are under pressure at the top after losing to Hungerford. Well, well injury 2-2 with Truro. I understand they changed their shape a little bit and, and that kind of helped them out. Um, no games for the wing this weekend as they are out of the trophy. They really do have just one vision left, the league. Uh, plenty of goals again in the Southern Counties East League. 35 in the nine games, including a 6-1 win for Beckenham over Deal and Whitstable winning 5-0 at Corinthian. Seven Oaks are still top of the pile though after their 3-1 win over Hollands and Blair on Saturday. Now, on Saturday night, I loved this league table. Off Saturday, there were four points between the top six, and every single one of those top six have played a different number of games from 14 to 19. 
Um, it changed on Tuesday night. Seven Oaks played one of their games in hand, moved five points clear at the top, beat Lords with 3 0. Eight wins from eight at home for the Oaks. Their home form really is a kind of magic, isn't it, Matt? It is. I have to say, Byron Walker again, that actually, there. Byron Walker, I remember him 12, 13 years ago playing for Dover. Very small man, very quick. Sometimes his brain was too quick for his feet at points of time, but scoring goals there. Eight wins out of eight. But seven Oaks are on a 3G as well, aren't they now? Yeah. Yeah, so working out well there. Again, from that point of view, Good for them. Disappointing. I say a good crowd. 52 there, but it was probably bitterly cold there. But a Byron Walker hat trick. What a yeah, good player. But he must be getting on of it now. 33, 34. Byron Walker. He had that electric pace. Very small man. So uh, good to see he's still banging him in from that point of view. But eight out of eight. Only four goals conceded. Um, they'll be absolutely delighted with that, Mickey Collins. I'm sure. Yeah, it's almost a full programme in the scaffold on Saturday. But just as they got a game back, Seven Oaks are not actually playing this weekend. Um, all the fixtures, as always, are on the scaffold website. Um, moving into the Devon Bostick League now. In the Premier, Margate were our only winners on Saturday, uh, winning a five-goal thriller against Hendon, while Folkestone lost at home to Harrow. An inconsistent Tunbridge Angels lost to Rock Bottom Worthing. Just two away wins for the Angels so far this season. But then that result doesn't look so bad because things got even worse for Folkestone on Tuesday night as they also lost to Worthing, this time at the Fulwick. So that was a uh, another cracking weekend for us, wasn't it? I think it was two penalties for Worthing, wasn't it, as well? So Folkestone, they must have some penalties in their games. <laughs> Had a few penalties this season now against them. Yeah, been bigging up Folkestone, bigging up Folkestone now, doing their well. Then you think we've lost two on the spin, so... Yeah, Neil Cuddley was there. They're still sconced in the playoff positions, but maybe the depth in squad, maybe an issue from that. But they just need to get back on the bike, folks, and I'm sure that they will do that. They don't come a bad side overnight, but Neil Cuddley, maybe he'll have to uh, introduce that Thursday training session that he was taking away when they're doing so well. Yeah, um, this weekend, folks can travel to Harlow. Margate are off to Kingstonian, who are playing at Leatherhead these days. And Tommy James are at home to Dulwich, who've got their own problems off the field at the moment. Um, and then both Folkestone against Thurrock and Margate against Brightingsea Region are at home on Tuesday night. Um, Gate also went out of the Senior Cup uh, on Tuesday night to Bromley, um, albeit with a very young side named by Steve Watt, which is always interesting. Um, into the Bostick South, we've, we've already spoken about Cray against High, but I think the next thing we should talk about in that league is a game that actually didn't go ahead. Um, Sitting Bournemouth used to play Guernsey on Saturday lunchtime. But after teams had been announced, the referee decided to delay the kickoff to do a pitch inspection and then called it off. I mean, that's a massive inconvenience for, for Guernsey, of course. Um, I read an article by Talk Sports' Tony Incenza about these sort of call-offs. And he made a suggestion that there should be a cut-off point for calling matches off. I think he has a point. We need, we need to be more switched on to what's going to happen. I mean, on Saturday morning, I did the park run in Sittingbourne. And a few bits of the, of the path there were coned off due to ice. And Woodstock Park's a long way up from where I am here in Sittingbourne. You know, it's always far colder than where I am. So I'm not surprised it wasn't playable. And I mean, two things really, Matt, from that Tony Incenzo piece. Firstly, are refs too eager to call games off these days? And secondly, should there be a cut-off point after which they can't call games off? I think well, we've all been, I think you probably have been, I have been, go to games, press this is on and get there and the ref always starts it, then calls it off. From Guernsey, I'm... Because I think the league pay for Guernsey's travel, so nobody's going to be technically out of pocket apart from the, the Devon Bostick League from, from this point of view. So, yeah, I think you've got to have a little bit of sense. You know, the weather, um, well, it was pretty, you know, Thursday, Friday last week was cold, Saturday was cold. Surely somebody could have a word at Sittingbourne, get somebody in to do that rather than Guernsey travelling. I see Guernsey were supposed to be at Thames meeting today, but they called that off nice and early, maybe just because, you know, they don't want Guernsey travelling over again. and and realising from that point of view, a cut-off point 
does make a, 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 a good deal of sense. He's had a, a time thing as well. If you've got to travel 150 miles, you should be comfortable for a certain time. It, it does for that. And I think referees probably are a little bit more concerned of calling the games off because you know they're worried that players could get injured on that point of view and it maybe comes back on them trying to progress their career. So it's probably a difficult job being a referee in the first place. But maybe the, the leagues can come together and make up something that makes it easier for these clubs because you know you probably because sometimes the clubs get abused as well don't they maybe necessarily not um, their way of doing things exactly uh, I mean elsewhere in the Bostick South only Phoenix of the Kent teams actually won impressive win mine 5-1 at Herne Bay uh, Ramsgate drew at Chipstead, Faversham and Greenwich shared the spoils and Thamesby Town also drew 1-1 with Corinthian Casuals. Um, VCD lost at home to South Park and Ashford went down 5-1 at Leaders Lewis. And this weekend's another one of those ones where we've got 10 teams we cover in the Bostick South and none of them are playing each other. 10 different games to look at. Um, only three of the teams are at home, Ashford against Horsham, Hyde against Molesey and Ramsgate against Leaders Lewis. Um, you've also got Herne Bay going to Carshall and... VCD at Corinthian Casuals, uh, Thames we go to East Grinstead, Sitting Bourne at Greenwich. Um, oh, sorry, Phoenix are at home as well. They're at home to Chipstead. I, I missed that one when I was going for it. Shoreham against Faversham and Whiteleaf against Cray. Um, you know, it's, this time of year is crucial. You know, if you can build up a head of steam and win all of your games between now and New Year's Day, you've had a, you're in a good position, aren't you? Well, I think probably people start saying now this is the Christmas period, isn't it? Oh, we played five games and picked up ten points, so. Again, how many of those games will go ahead? I think the weather's supposed to get a little bit colder from, uh, from that point of view. Good game, big game for Ramsgate. I think the young side against Lewis uh, looks like the side to, to watch out for in this division as well. And maybe Famisham can get a bit of consistency going to Shoreham as well. So getting a result from there. Yeah, it's an interesting one, the South Division. Again, they gave place of so many fixtures in this division as well. But the Christmas period, I'm, well, I'm saying it now, the manager will say this is the Christmas period from Saturday onwards. So we've got the games in get that momentum uh, and some of these players of course you've got to give respect to some of these players because you know they're going to have to give up some of their Christmas by having too much turkey coming up so get going in there and always I'm always a little bit suspicious if players get sent off at this time of the year as well because oh yes the band kicks in and I'm missing the Boxing Day games you know they may say it doesn't happen I'm sure it does that, that some of these players but uh, maybe not from our sides but maybe from other sides that a little booking or a red card goes in as someone was saying, I think if any Premier League player gets sent off in this midweek game of fixtures and gets a three-game ban, then they've got Christmas off. So looking out to see who it does. There was one rumour that Mark Noble's had the last three or four Christmases off. So, um, you know, fair play. A bit like I saw the other day, Neymar has his sister's birthday off for various reasons every year as well, which is absolutely crackers. Anyway, that is just about it. Matt, where am I going tonight? It, well, I'm sure you're going to see either We Will Rock You or a Queen Tribute Act. We are actually right, but not right. Actually, going to see the proper Queen. Um, obviously, without Freddie Mercury. Well, the Queen, as in Queen Elizabeth. No, Queen not her. No, um, the actual band Queen, um, who now have Adam have Lambert. Something on the news here. Sorry. I've missed something on the news that they've reformed or something. They've been they've been back around, back doing the, the rounds for a few years, and uh, I bought the tickets for my dad's 60th birthday. He's a big fan. And they've got a guy called Adam Lambert is their singer now, uh, American chap. And they're playing at the O2 tonight. So Brian May, Roger Taylor, etc. I'll be seeing you later on, folks. But yeah, well done. I've chucked in a few Queen songs there. Innuendo, Breakthrough, Mercury, Show Must Go On, Under Pressure, One Vision, A Kind of Magic. I even chucked a cheeky Radio Gaga in there. And I think that was probably where I gave it away. Is that fair? Uh, it was the, I think it was a Kind of Magic. And then, then when I was talking, the Mercury thing came in as well. So I thought, ah. Oh. So it'll be well set up. I presume they're doing 
doing all their uh, popular hits, as they say, the kids say these days. So. I would imagine so, yeah. Um, Saturday, I assume you'll be at the FA Trophy, even though the mainstream won't be that bothered? Uh, we'll be there, I'll be there on that one. Yeah, Eastbourne um, played me twice in the FA Cup a couple of seasons ago. I'm really pleased as a hope, because if you've ever been trying to get to Eastbourne's ground, it's an absolute nightmare. But it'll be a tough one, because they were pretty difficult to beat in those FA Cup games. And, and they've got nothing to lose coming to Dover. There's one of these games, the FA Trophy now, you can finish the games on the day. So a few of the, few of the uh, ties are going to be finished on the day, but I don't think the day one is. So um, from that point of view, it's going to be cold, but it's to be entertainment. And I'm sure our sides will be taking it seriously. And fingers crossed we get um, four sides, or even five sides over the dark for the got tough one forward to get into the next round. And um, obviously former Margate midfielder Kane Wills is in the Eastbourne Borough squad. So be interesting to hear from you next week how he how he gets on because a really nice really nice young man Kane Wills actually really, really nice chap good player as well it didn't always work out for him too well at Margate but I understand he's doing quite well at Eastbourne so hopefully he, he has a good game on Saturday but hopefully Dover can progress yeah fingers crossed yeah absolutely well thanks very much for listening um, as always feel free to get in touch with us um, on Twitter at Kent NL Podcast on Facebook at Kent Non League or drop us a line by email to johnphipps81 at outlook.com. Um, it's been a fantastic week. I hope you've enjoyed the show. I hope you really enjoyed that chat with Jim Parminter about the 3G pitch. If you've got anything you want to say about that, please get in touch and, and we'd love to hear what your thoughts are on this massive issue. But until then, or until next week, thanks very much for listening and we shall speak to you then. Thank you very much. Bye.